Welcome back to another episode of Fight in Progress, a podcast conversation about our men and women in law enforcement and the challenges they face. With lead stress coach and founder of Under the Shield Foundation, Susan Simmons, and Arizona police officer, Ace Walker. We're honored today to have a very special guest and someone I'm honored to call a friend, Robert Almonte, a retired U.S. Marshal out of Texas. And Robert, we're just real excited you could be with us today. I know you've been in the, on the road and traveling a lot, but we appreciate you taking time to be on with us today. Well, Susan, I appreciate you having me on your show. Uh, I know we tried to schedule this before, unfortunately, uh, we were not able to. So I'm glad to be here today. I'm, it's, it's an honor to be uh, on your podcast. So thank you very much for having me. Well, you're such an interesting guest, and I know Ace has been anxious to hear your stories. And I said, you know, I think in my 30 years of being around law enforcement, your training years ago is the only training I remember that actually gave me nightmares. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I get that a lot. I get that a lot from uh, uh, a lot of uh, police officers all over the country that attend my uh, my training. But on the other hand, too, is uh, the other compliment I'm very proud of is uh, on some of the critiques of feedback I get. Uh, I had a couple that commented that uh, the training is so um, so interesting that I almost peed myself because I couldn't get up to go to the restroom. You know that I have not received a compliment better than that. <laughs> well, I learned a lot, but it sure was scary, especially as the ex-wife of a DEA agent looking back on on all of our years that he was in drug enforcement um, yeah. and hearing your stories. Um, well, well, because it, it is scary what the cartels are doing and what they're involved in, and it is what it is. So I, I you know, I don't hold back. I, I, I say it like it is because that's what officers need to know. Absolutely. Well, sure. we, we, some of us have li- lived a more sheltered life than we knew we had lived. And right. you certainly educated me on that. So why don't you give our audience a little background on your law enforcement career and how you got into all of this? Sure. Uh, well, as you mentioned, Susan, I'm a former United States uh, Marshal. I was appointed United States Marshal for the Western District of Texas in uh, 2010 by then President Obama. And uh, so I served the entire Western District of Texas, which included the main office in El Paso, an office in Waco, Del Rio, Alpine, um, Odessa, and uh, Austin, and El Paso. So it was a really, really, it is a huge uh, uh, district. So um, well, prior to that, I was the executive director for the Texas Narcotic Officers Association. Um, and prior to that, I served 25 years with the El Paso Police Department, El Paso, Texas Police Department, uh, serving most of that time working narcotics in one, compass, one capacity or another as a detective working undercover sergeant. I was a narcotic commander for seven years. And then I retired as a deputy chief overseeing the major crime bureau, which included basically all your investigators, homicide, narcotics, gang, everybody. So I had about 300 people in my bureau. And, and I started my career way back in 1978. I was just a kid. I was 21 years old. And uh, I'll tell you what, I grew up quick mm-hmm. in the El Paso Police Department working uh, some really busy areas there near the border. It was culture shock, and I, I really grew up with the El Paso Police Department, and there's no doubt about that. So, um, and that's basically it. So now I do a lot of training. I've been doing training, uh, training law enforcement officers for years and years, but now 
Uh, I'm doing a lot more training now. I do a lot of research, which includes uh, going into uh, Mexico and, and visiting different places and talking to Mexican law enforcement officers and traveling throughout the United States. And, and I really love what I'm doing because even though I'm no longer a police officer, I kind of still feel like one because I get to hang out with cops. You know, and I can tell you that <laughs> cops are the same everywhere. Yes. Oh, I don't yeah. care if you're in a small town or in a big city, they're the same everywhere. And I've spoken in Sweden, and they're the same uh, there in, in Sweden as well. So cops are the same everywhere. So that's why I do it. I have a passion for this, and, and I really feel like my training is, is doing some good, primarily enhancing the safety of, of uh, the law enforcement officers out there, our, our heroes. Absolutely, and you and I actually met at a training many years ago, and I can't even tell you where we were. Um, I'm sure it's at one of the narcotics officers' conferences. I think that's the first time we actually met. But uh, it, yeah, it was years and years ago. But uh, the 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 difference is, uh, uh, I I got older and you didn't. <laughs> well, I should talk to you every day, Robert. <laughs> Because I feel like <laughs> I feel like I have aged a lot just in the last two months, but oh, well, um, I hear you. That'll do it. That'll do it. But you'll get that back. I know what you're talking about. What really, what really drove your interest in the narcotic side of this thing? Well, you know, uh, interesting because uh, I, I I took the detective test in El Paso and I was on the promotional list. And uh, at that time, it was unheard of to go directly to narcotics as a brand new detective. Wow. Uh, but the deputy chief at that time, uh, uh, I remember we're working out in the gym and he asked me, so where do you want to go? Because there were rumors I was going to go to robbery and, or some other area, which would have been fine. But I've always had this interest in working narcotics. And I think I got that interest from working patrol and arresting people for drug use. And then also... Mm -hmm going to responding to the hospital my area included the, the county hospital so we responded there very often handling overdoses a lot of drug overdoses and it was so sad uh seeing these young young people and their lives are ended over drugs and then even sadder you know having to tell the parents and uh sure. so i just you know it really troubled me that the drugs were hurting so many people, killing people, destroying lives. Mm -hmm. uh, so that could piqued my interest. So then anyway, I told the deputy chief, you know, I'd like to go to narcotics. And boom, next thing I know, <laughs> I get promoted. I went straight to narcotics. And at that time, there was no training. It was OJT. Wow. It was OJT. There was no training. And was, I, th I think a year later, I went to a conference only because it was in El Paso. So I <laughs> hooked up with another detective there who had been there like two weeks <laughs> Ahead of me, <laughs> and uh, we kind of OJT ourselves through it, and uh, you know, next thing you know, uh, you know, we, we started doing some pretty good work, some good cases, and uh, and then uh, what piqued my interest in, in the the area where I, in part of my training, where I talk about who the Mexican cartels and gang members pray to for protection, mm -hmm. was when I was working narcotics and we would execute search warrant, going to homes, and I'd see all these candles and prayer candles back then we didn't have they didn't have something where it there my brother they were all the legitimate thing there were stat, uh, statues and prayer candles of jesus christ mm. uh the virgin mary St. jude and i remember finding a a baggie with balloons of heroin right behind a statue of jesus christ oh, yeah. and uh so then i asked the lady that we arrested you know how come you have the heroin behind jesus and and she said well he was supposed to protect me from you <laughs> and you know being me being a uh uh, a smart ass. I don't have to worry about internal affairs anymore. I said, well, yeah, you know, that didn't work, right? Yeah. And, you know, I went something like, well, how's that working for you? Mm -hmm. So, 
So anyway, her response really, really was the most important thing because when as soon as I said that, her response was, yeah, I guess I need to pray harder. Wow. So that told me their belief in these things is, is, is unconditional, it's embedded in their heart, their soul, their mind. So ever since that time, every time we would hit a house and I'd, I'd see these little shrines and altars, it just intrigued me. Mm-hmm. And I started learning more and more. That was a long time ago in the 80s. And then when I retired from the El Paso Police Department, uh, I started going into Mexico and visiting some of these temples and shrines and, and learning more and more. And I'm still learning. I'm still learning. I'm learn- Every time I get a case from an officer, that they encounter something, I'll see something different there, I'll research it. Or when I'm teaching at a conference, officers will make comments or come up to me during break and I learn. So, you know, I've, I'm, I've, I learned a long, long time ago, the day you decide you know everything, you know, it's time to hang it up. Exactly. Uh, so I'm still learning and, and I love hanging out with cops. So uh, I basically opened a can of worms is what I did, is what I did. but I, I enjoy it. So how do you get into these shrines and these sites where apparently they worship like Malverde or the Santa Muerte. How do you get in there? Do you just look like one of them and you walk in? Or how do you how do you get there without standing out? Or like in Mexico when yeah. I go to those places? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just go in there and I act like I belong there. <laughs> <laughs> That's got to be kind of scary. I, I, I act like I belong there, but, you know, I, I, don't, I don't ever try to pass myself off as being from Mexico. Yeah, because that would never work. My Spanish is almost as bad as my English. <laughs> so, so that wow. would that would never work. So you know, if people ask me something like, "What are you doing here? Or, Who are you?" I'll tell them I'm from the United States. I'm writing a book on this stuff, uh, and uh, so uh, most of these people wouldn't mind coming out in my book. So that's why they talk to me. I take pictures with them at the different tri- uh, temples and trying. So there's been a few times where. I uh, haven't been welcomed there. People will uh, run me off, and uh, I've been threatened. Yeah. Uh, and I just, uh, I'm not stupid. I just walk away. <laughs> you know? Yeah, but that had to be pretty scary, though, Robert. Well, sometimes. Yeah, you know, sometimes. But, it, you know, I don't want to make a big deal out of it. I really sure. don't because it is what it is. I, I mean, they tell me, you know, hey, you need to leave now or we're going to kill you, which <laughs> I've been told before a couple of times. Wow. Uh, okay, I'm not going to. I'm not going to ask questions. Yeah. I turn around and I leave. Time and place, right, yeah. Yeah, just leave. Mm-hmm. So, so far it's been, it's been good. And then, and then when I go to Mexico, I, I just don't get in, into any cab. I go with the same driver or two drivers all the time that I know. They know me. I trust them. They know what I'm doing. They're street smart. And as I'm talking to people or taking pictures, they're watching my back. Mm-hmm. And there's been a couple of times where they told me, you know, I think we should leave. There's some look like a couple of guys are following you. Wow. Okay, Jeez. let's leave. I don't, I don't ask questions. I don't, I just don't push my luck. Okay, let's go. Yeah. Wow. Now you said you were telling us before we went on the air that you were in Florida um, just a few days ago doing some more research. What were you researching down there? Well, I've been spending a, a lot of time recently re- researching the religion, the Santeria religion. Uh, because I'm seeing more, we're seeing, law enforcement officers are seeing uh, more of the Mexican cartels and, and gang members using, or I should say misusing Santeria, the Santeria religion, for their criminal activity. The same as people are misusing the Catholic saints, the, you know, for their criminal activity, the same thing. Because a lot of people don't realize that Santeria is actually a legitimate 
uh, religion uh, recognized by the United States, States Supreme Court in a case that came out, decided in 1994 out of Hialeah, uh, Florida. Uh, Santeria uh, involved in some of the rituals sacrificing animals. And in that case in Florida, animal control was citing these people and they ended up getting arrested. Well, these people are saying, well, this is our religion. We're supposed to do that. Well, they said no. So anyway, went all the way up to the Supreme Court and the United States Supreme Court sided with the people, the Santeria practitioner, saying that it's a legitimate religion and sacrificing animals is acceptable as long as it's done during the bona fide ceremony. And, and they, they don't torture the animals. Uh, they cut the jugular and let let them uh, bleed out, oh, wow. and, and there's a purpose for that. Very often when people are, well, not very often, all the time, when people get initiated into the Santeria religion, and I have some people asking me to get initiated into religion, <laughs> and uh, I'm kind of like holding off on, on that one right now. Oh, come on, Robert, take one for the team. <laughs> well, no, you know, uh, but I got to tell you, uh, when they do the initiation, they sacrifice the animal, but after the animals are sacrificed and after the ceremony is complete, they actually cook the animals and they have a meal, uh, a celebration meal. Hmm. So the ceremony I went to in uh, in Florida was, was, did not involve any animal sacrifice. It was called a drumming. Hmm. And it's basically a drumming where these people are playing three different kinds of uh, drums. They're more like, um, uh, I don't know, bongos or something like that. They're not a regular drum with drumsticks, the ones you hit with your hands. The only word that comes to my mind are like bongo. <laughs> and uh, they're drumming, and then people are dancing, and they're singing, and then the language they're, they're using, I, I don't understand it because they're in Santeria, and the Santeria rituals, uh, they use the African language of, of Yoruba. <laughs> uh, so you're not going to understand that. They're dancing and singing, and at some point, um, they're singing to the, to the gods, if you will, and they're called orichas, and um, sometimes these orishas will come down and enter into some people while they're dancing, and you can tell that they're under the influence of that. And I actually witnessed that wow. about three different people that were under the influence of their saint or oricha. Uh, very, very uh, uh, interesting. Now, I was uh, an invited guest because, uh, from some friends of mine that know what I do, that I do this training for law enforcement officers. Huh. And the reason they want me to to get exposed to all of this is because uh, the criminals are giving the Santeria religion a bad name. Mm. So they want me to train officers that look, Santeria is legit, this is how it's supposed to be done, but the criminals are using it for this purpose. Huh. So Santeria is an African-based religion that originated in Nigeria. And basically in a nutshell, for your listeners and for you all, uh, the slaves had their own African religion and then their owners were trying to convert them to Christianity, to Catholicism. Mm -hmm. Well, the slaves already had their own African uh, religion and it actually originated in Nigeria. Uh, but the bottom line, the owners are gonna win this argument. So what the slaves did, the different things that the owners were trying to get the slaves to pray to, the slaves actually embedded their own African religion into the different Catholic things. Wow. Fooling the owners into believing that they had in fact had in fact converted to Christianity right. and that in a nutshell is how Santeria began. It's very very complex I've been studying it for a long time and and I still don't have a handle on it I know a little bit, but the main thing I'm interested in is is everything about Santeria But my focus on the training is how the criminals mm -hmm. are using Santeria which orisha they like to use and why so they'll recognize them. 
when they see it in a car or yeah. they're wearing it yeah. or in a home. Same thing with like Santa Muerte, but it's <laughs> right. different. So that's why I do that. And at the same time, I want to learn all the good things about Santeria mm -hmm. so that officers go into a house and they're in the middle of a, uh, walk into the middle of a Santeria ritual where they're sacrificing animals, they have an understanding of what's going on. Right. Uh, because there was a case in San Antonio a few years ago where that's exactly what happened and 11 people were placed under arrest for animal cruelty. Oh. Uh, well, eventually all the charges were dismissed. So there was a lot of waste of resources, mm -hmm. manpower, court, uh, so that's what I try to do, give an understanding of, of, uh, of what's going on with Santeria. So how, that's why I went to Florida. How common is are these different religions and rituals and stuff around the country? Are they mostly in border states? or? No, they're, they're uh, really all over the country. And, mm -hmm. and, and that's what a lot of people need to realize. Just mm -hmm. like on the immigration, you know, we have uh, the vice president there in Guatemala and going to Mexico City. And both of those places are a long way from our southwest border. Mm -hmm. uh, but in actuality, especially recently with the surge of, of the uh, Ill illegal aliens uh, or whatever the correct word is, but the undocumented <laughs> <Right>. aliens, uh, <laughs> they, uh, you know, they're, they're moving in, into the interior of the country. And they've been here for a while. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that the cartels have been here for a while. The cell groups have been here for a while. When I was buying heroin, uh, you know, passed away as a police officer. <laughs> <laughs> and I was buying heroin undercover. Uh, our connection, my connection was out of Chicago. Wow. Uh, that was in the 80s. So I've been here for a while. There's more cell groups now. So to answer your question, yeah, it's all over the country. And you're going to start seeing more of that until they get a handle on the uh, immigration uh, issue. Not saying, not saying mm -hmm. that uh, most of the people coming across are, are not honest, hardworking people sure. that... They want to come to the best country in the United States, as, as I would if I was over there. Sure. However, uh, not all of them are, are so good. Right, right. Um, how much time have you spent down on the border just in the last year? Oh, I spent a lot of time down on the on the border. Um, I want to say, well, I'll tell you just a couple of recent trips I've taken down to the border. You're talking about the actual border, right? Yeah, just I want to know what the difference is that you've seen in the last year. Well, the big difference, I, I, did a, I did a ride along in, in Cotula County, uh, which is about an hour and a half south of San Antonio, and I did a ride along out there. Actually, I taught a class out there and was able to do a ride along, and a uh, big increase in uh, immigration smuggling, human smuggling, mm -hmm. a lot of pursuits. And the sad thing about that that you don't really hear too much about is that uh, you know, the Texas DPS or any other law enforcement officer, they'll engage to uh, try to stop a car for whatever the violation is, and then mm -hmm. it begins the pursuit. And uh, the, the, the coyote, the mule, the driver mm -hmm. is not going to stop. So they, they have total disregard for the people in the bed of the pickup truck. Mm -hmm. Several cases where the pickup truck rolled over, the car rolled over, and several have, have been killed. Uh, another one, I did a ride-along uh, in uh, Kingsville, no, Laredo, Laredo, Texas. Mm -hmm. And um, I rode along with the, uh, uh, the sheriff's office there. And uh, so we get information over the phone that there's a, an accident, a rollover. So we end up going out there and that's exactly what happened. The Texas 
state trooper uh, saw a guy driving vehicle by himself, ball cap, looking straight ahead, wouldn't look at the trooper, you know, those kind of indicators. Mm -hmm. And then the trooper stopping him for a track traffic violation. The trooper uh, saw that the guy took off. And the guy's in a pickup truck, and he's, the trooper sees, like, people bouncing up, you know, like they're in the truck, and he's trying to get them to stop. Now it's a safety issue. Sure. Well, the guy driving the truck full of illegal um, alien goes into a ranch area, hits a big dip. All these people are thrown out of the vehicle. One uh, died, uh, in, killed instantly at the scene. And I actually got to see uh, that. I, I met, made it to the scene, and I actually spoke to the trooper involved, and pretty shaken up. Sure. And then another one died later on. So that's that's the biggest difference. We're seeing more uh, human smuggling, mm -hmm. and you're going to see this as the result of that. Mm -hmm. And that those are just a couple of, uh, of cases. So then I also did right along with Kingville, uh, Texas PD. That's about a two and a half hour drive from. Uh, San Antonio, Texas, and I, I had to ride along with those guys. And what stood out in my mind is, is uh, the car I'm in. The officer gets dispatched to, on a call to a certain area where a neighbor, uh, somebody in the house, called in that they saw six people jumping off a train, possibly illegal alien. Okay. Then the next thing that came over the radio was, uh, "Be advised, no border patrol agents available." Hmm. Well, there weren't, they weren't available because they're so busy. Yeah. That area in Kingville, they have a Border Patrol station that has 300 agents. Wow. And not one agent was available. So we go out there trying to find these illegal aliens, not to investigate them as illegal aliens, but see who they are because some could be dangerous. They could break into a house or something. So mm -hmm. I guess what I'm trying to say, a big result of, of everything that we're seeing is this is putting a strain not only on law on federal law enforcement agencies right. but also on our state and local agencies right. where our officers that should be patrolling neighborhoods and doing other things and protecting the local uh citizens now they're having to basically enforce federal law mm -hmm. and and uh get involved in immigration issues so those are the biggest differences i've seen you know it's really sad the number of children that are being caught yeah. up in all of this. Have you seen a, just a huge influx of children more so than in the past? Oh yeah, with, with, without a doubt. And actually, uh, you know, as soon as our country uh, said, you know, we're gonna take care of the children, reunite the children with, the, with their uh, family members, well, it was like the next day, yep. the cartel started sending children over. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> you know, they're sending children over. And a lot of the people that are coming across or being sent across by the cartels, and some of them are carrying uh, drugs. I know that in here, La Paso, which is where, where I'm at right now, I saw the television last night where the Border Patrol chief here said that that's a big problem where a lot of these illegal aliens are being forced to bring drugs across by the cartel. And I believe that. Sure. I believe that. We had a, another example. We had a case here in El Paso a couple of months ago where some illegal aliens came across and they made it to Chaparral, New Mexico, which is very close to El Paso, El Paso, Las Cruces area. Uh -huh. And they're walking and some local people here in a car, three guys in a car said, hey, come with us and we'll take care of you. We'll help you out. And uh, so they get in the car. Well, now they go take them to the location. They torture them. Mm -hmm. They beat them up and they force them to make phone calls to get money sent to some bank account. Mm. So, so many things have changed because we've allowed all these people to come over here. So we basically created an environment for these people to become victims. Yes. Yeah.
Yes. And, and, it's, and it's very sad. It is very sad when I see all the videos here in, in Arizona about children being dropped over walls and... Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it just... It's just horrible. I mean, you know, people talk about human rights violations. Well, like all this situation, we're seeing more human rights uh, violations. We're seeing a big increase in the uh, human stash houses uh, along the southwest border and, and, and away from the border in Houston, several stash houses. In Dallas, Texas, several stash houses. So my prediction is unless we get a handle on this, these human stash houses are going to move they used to be just situated along the southwest border. Now we're getting them in Houston and Dallas. We're going to see them in the interior of the United States, mm -hmm. and and I think that's what's going to happen unless we get a handle on this on this situation. So, I teach a, a class on on stash houses. Uh, it used to be the focus was on uh, drug stash houses, but now I've incorporated human smuggling, human trafficking stash houses. Because the other sad situation, the cartels are heavily involved in moving people across the border. They've been heavily involved in uh, human smuggling for, for, for years, and they set them up at stash houses. Well, they, people, these people pay a lot of money sure. to get smuggled. Sure. Well, what happens very often, the cartel put them in a house and they say, hey, you need to call your family because we need more money. So now that human smuggling, which was voluntary, now turned into human trafficking. Yeah, now it's ransom. That happens all the time. I don't know if you recall a few years ago that case in San Antonio where they found a, an 18-wheeler in a, a parking lot at Walmart. Yep. Ten people dead. Yep. Ten people dead. There was 100 people in there, and they're taking turns trying to breathe through a hole in the floor of, the, of there. Ten people dead. The Zetas cartel was behind that human smuggling case. So this has been going on for a while, and all the, the difference now is that they're just, we're just seeing more of it now. Is Tell me how legalization of marijuana, has this improved or impacted that in any way? Oh, man, you just hit a, a button of mine there. <laughs> kind of thought it might. <laughs> yeah, I think you did that on purpose. I, did. Yeah, I think she did. Yeah. Yeah, no, I figured we'd get to something. No, you know, my, my blood is boiling. Right. Can we take a break? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, go ahead. We like you fired yeah. up. Yeah. No, you know, that's been the biggest hoax that a lot of people have 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 bought into it and unfortunately one of our our local people here in el paso uh was a big pro proponent of that when i was the executive of, uh, director of the texas narcotic officers association i debated him because he basically come out say legal and he basically said i'm paraphrasing okay so <laughs> i don't get sued <laughs> in a nutshell. he said something like legalize marijuana and all those murders in mexico stop all the cartel murders. we'll put them out of business and you know these politicians all of a sudden because you've been elected now you're a law enforcement expert yeah. now you know everything about law enforcement you can tell law enforcement officers what to do to make the world a better place sure. so it's idiots like that uh, yep. i'm not calling him an idiot but idiots like that 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 upset me because that's that's just the wrong information you're mm -hmm. not saying anything else because they're, they're legalizing marijuana all over the united states yes and the, mur the number of murders in Mexico has not gone down. And I knew it wouldn't, I tell him that. And then he really didn't like when I wrote a, an op-ed in the El Paso Times, you might look it up one day. I will. <laughs> he, had, he had a conference here trying to promote legalizing marijuana, but he called it something like the war on drugs or something. It was a BS name. Yep. And, uh, and surprise, surprise, what came out of this conference? Oh, we need to legalize marijuana. Okay, and all those, those deaths go away. 
And he even said something like, as evidence for legalizing marijuana, I point to the 30-some thousand people in Mexico that have been killed. So in my op-ed, I ended it something like this. Uh As evidence for not legalizing marijuana, I point to the hundreds of thousands of people that die every year in the United States due to drug overdoses. Mm -hmm. Pissed him off. (laughs) And and his followers. So he hates me. His followers hate me. Uh, But anyway. That's all good. Let's get into your question. No, it has not helped. The murders are are unbelievable. Uh, and, And let me tell you why. It was never about marijuana. Right. It never was. Right. It's about crime. It's about money, really. Yes. It's about money. The cartels are not going to go away. And a lot of people do not realize that they're not in, just involved in drug trafficking. Right. Like in, in my class, when I talk about all the different things that they're involved in, one of the big things they're involved well, we talked about human smuggling. Yes. Okay. That has not, you can do that without drugs, and that's not drug trafficking, really. That's moving people. Now, let's talk about the other things they're doing in Mexico. They're tapping pipelines and stealing the fuel. Hmm. And they're doing a lot of that. I mean, it's costing Mexico, not millions, but billions of dollars a year. It's all about uh, money. And the new generation cartel is heavily involved in doing that. I talk a lot about them in my my presentation. Uh, They're into green gold now. Know what green gold is? No. Avocado. Avocado. A lot of avocados are grown in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Most of the avocados yeah. come to the United States or from Mexico. Yep. So this has been going on for years where the people that own these uh, avocado plantations, if you will, uh, they get kidnapped, they're held for extortion, uh, or the uh, cartel will hijack the truckloads of avocados, sell them on the, on the black market. Uh, they're involved into all kinds of, uh, of criminal <laughs> activity. That's why they, it's not about drugs. Oh, the marijuana? Uh, the cartel, what did they do when they started growing marijuana here in the United States? Well, the Mexican cartel said, well, you know, we don't need all this land for marijuana. Let's get rid of marijuana and let's grow poppy plants so we can make heroin. They just changed <laughs> the... They're making fentanyl. They're getting all these precursor chemicals from China to make fentanyl and to make methamphetamine. Sure. So uh, much fentanyl. The United States, actually all the different states enacted tougher laws to make it more difficult. Uh, to have access to pseudoephedrine to manufacture methamphetamine mm-hmm. that did put a, a kind of a, a, a cap on, on all these little meth labs. Well, the Mexican cartels said, hey, don't worry, we're here. We'll and it. now we got these super labs. But as far as fentanyl, Mexicans used to get it directly from um, China, mm-hmm. already a finished product. A few years ago, most of the fentanyl coming in the United States was coming into a New York area. But within the last year, and I, I was at a uh, National Narcotic Officer Association Coalition uh, virtual meeting. Uh, I take it back, it was a live meeting in Washington, D.C. I try to attend every year. Mm-hmm. And the uh, director of uh, the Office of National Drug Control Policy announced that uh, China and the U.S. made an agreement where it's tougher for them to bring fentanyl into the New York area. But what happened? <laughs> They're bringing the fentanyl and the precursor <laughs> chemicals into Mexico. Yep. That's why where you guys are at right now in Arizona, you have a lot of uh, fentanyl coming yes. across the border, so much record seizure. Yep. So it, it, it's not about marijuana. It was never about marijuana. So you got kidnapping, extortion going on. You want to run for office in in, um, in Mexico, any office, mm-hmm. and you come out saying that you're going to stop the cartel, you're going to stop uh, <laughs> corruption, you're going to stop organized crime, you better have your will made. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, you won't be you alive know, long. 
it's kind of funny, but it isn't because, you know, recently, and I have a video of it that I'm going to show in my classes, politicians giving a little pep rally speech in front of a lot of people in the middle of the day, and they shoot her to death, killed her there. Wow. Another politician uh, finishes the debate, he's outside, he's taking a selfie with one of his uh, supporters, somebody walks up behind him and shoots him in the head. God. I mean, it's incredible. Mexico, The Mexican government had lost control. The Mexican cartels are running the country of Mexico. Mm -hmm. And now, people ask me, and, and I know I ramble on here. No, so. no, uh, we need to hear this. Okay, okay. now, the, the, the country of Mexico, um, people say, well, what is it taking? You know, I teach my class. Well, Robert, what's going to change all this? Uh -huh. One word. We need to end it something. It's one word. Corruption. And sure. corruption, the, the, here's the problem, is that that's the culture in Mexico. Corruption is Always embedded has been. in the fiber of the yep. fabric of the country of Mexico, going back to the term of mordida. Uh, mordida it literally means a bite. But like we get stopped in Mexico, mm -hmm. right? And they, you want you don't want them to confiscate your car. You better flip them a twenty dollar bill. Right. Their pay is so low. I'm not justifying what they're doing, but the reason they're doing that, they don't make very much money. Sure. So a lot of things need to be done there. They need to redo how they they hire officers, how they train officers, and how they pay officers. That's a contributing factor to corruption. A lot of the police officers out there work directly for the cartel. But it's corruption within the government. Yes. Uh, I interviewed a, a, a kidnap victim about a month ago. Oh, wow. Kidnapped in Mexico. Not a cartel member, uh -huh. but his family owned businesses and their target. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It's not about marijuana. So they abduct him. They take him to play. They hold him for five days. And and uh, his family had to pay half a million dollars for them to release him alive. Holy half a million dollars. And I talked to him. I recorded the interview. I talked to him. And uh, then I asked him this question. Well, let me ask you. Let's say the United States legalized all the drugs. I was going to ask you uh, that question. Yeah. What happens? Yeah, let's say the United States legalized all the drugs. You think the cartel activity, you think things will improve in Mexico? No hesitation. Nope. Not at all. They'll find something go, else. Not? And he basically said, well, you know, I love my country. Mm -hmm. I love Mexico. But the problem is corruption mm -hmm. that you're not going to change that it's the corruption and that's why uh you know like uh uh vice president uh harris going uh, to guatemala to guatemala okay <laughs> what 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 caused me i don't want to say concern but it, it made me wonder because she said well i'm going out there to see what the root causes cause is of these people wanting to come over to the united states yeah. I'm like, really? I'm sure you they'll know, show the, her. You know, yeah. yeah, the root cause really was, uh, you know, <laughs> us basically telling everybody, hey, come, come on, on over. Come on. Now I understand she's telling them, don't, don't come. come over. But you know what? That's like Too doing late. that after the horse been let out of the barn. Too late. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, but here's the deal. She wants to find the root cause. I know what the root cause is. I think we all know what the root, root cause is. It's the poverty. It's crime, sure. it's corruption, sure. it's uh, their education system. And what are we ex expected to do about that? Exactly. You know, we can't throw money at it. I'll tell you what, we throw money at, at, at uh, the Mexican government. Mm -hmm. That's to like, hey, give these people money so they don't come to the United States. I'm going to tell you what would happen to that money. It ain't going well, the right place. Get that money and give it to the cartels and say, here's some money, get me to the United States. That's right. So we can't do that. But again... Uh, Mexico, Guatemala, all these other basically third world countries, 
um, they have issues that are not going to be solved uh, overnight. And, and, and quite frankly, they won't be solved in a lifetime, at least not my lifetime. Sure. And it's, it's, it's very sad. Just like President Obrador in Mexico, mm-hmm. he came out saying, there's no more war on drugs. We're not going to go after the cartels. I'm going to focus on social issues, preventing these kids from growing up and wanting to join a cartel. Oh, my God. Okay. I'm not saying that's not a bad idea, but you got to do both. Sure. You got to do both. You can't just say, we're going to back off the cartels and just focus on telling these kids growing, you know, social issues. We're talking about changing a culture that's been that way for years and years and years. And uh, it's not going to happen o- overnight, though. It, it's sad, but that's the reality of it. Well, my gosh, Chicago can't even handle it within a, their, their city. Um, with with the problems, you know, now we're talking about an entire country, but you know, I mean, Robert, is the bottom line really that even if even if drugs were all legalized, human trafficking is only going to increase, and the torture and and those kinds of things, it's going to be more human pain and suffering, don't you think? Oh, there's no doubt, and that's that's what's going on uh, now already. Is uh, that's occurring? Uh, and the reason I show these officers all these graphic videos of the beheadings mm-hmm. and the torturing, because uh, I get I get um, dinged on some of my evaluations. Oh my God, how can you show this? You have to. And you know, those are very far and few between. Majority of officers, they get it, they sure. understand it. Sure. And these other officers that make those kind of comments, quite frankly, in my personal opinion, they have no business being police officers. I agree. Uh, you know, I'm not showing it to your kid. Come on, right. give me a break. You're a cop. Right. Um, but those things are happening here in the United States. So when I right after I talk about those cases and show those videos, I talk about several cases that have happened here in the United States: Mexican cartel related violence, kidnapping, torture, beheading. Sure. I talk about a beheading that happened there in Arizona: Mexican cartel beheading down the street from the police department. Where was years. that? Where in uh, Arizona? You know, it's been a few years, but basically the background on that. Is a guy working for the cartel living in uh, Arizona. Um, I know the city. Nogales or Yuma or that no, part? No, no, no. It's up in the Phoenix area. Oh. The Phoenix area. So anyway, uh, he worked for the cartels. He loses about four or 500 pounds of marijuana. Oops. Okay? That's well, not good. <laughs> you got you to answer the cartel. Well, he tells the cartel that Border Patrol agencies did. Well, the cartel, they're going to track reports and stuff like that. They're going to do their research, their homework. Sure. And they found out that wasn't true. <laughs> so they sent a hit squad down there to grab him and take him back to Mexico. He was able to leave. Well, then uh, a, a week or so later, they sent some new people. But like to, they said, okay, hey, don't worry about it. We'll let you pay the money back. These guys are going to help you. Sure. So the, the, the victim in this case was a Santa Muerte worshiper. He has something worth the candles and statues in the room. Well, the two new people, they use this guy, the victim's belief in the Santeria, excuse me, not Santeria, I apologize for that, Santa Muerte, to get closer to him. Hmm. And then they beheaded him. Wow. They're in the house in in, in Arizona. Wow. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know. I didn't get all that information I got from uh, news articles, or the video I show in my class. But I also spoke to the investigators that were attending my class, homicide investigators, and, and they corroborated that. Well, you know, and as Americans, and again, when 
um, my ex-husband first got on with DEA that we were in New Orleans and this, the next thing we knew was the Kiki Camarena case. And uh, you want to talk about, you know, what they'll uh, do to an American, you know, that was, that was something that really rocked DEA at its core. Uh, were you uh, involved in that at all? You know, I've, uh, I had just gone to narcotics, of course, working here in El Paso, and what stands out in my mind when that happened, it was like, oh my God. Yeah. Uh, unbelievable. But the other thing that stood on my mind, I believe Ronald Reagan was the president maybe back then. I'm not sure. But whoever the president was, he closed all the port of entry. Mm-hmm. That's the that first time that's ever been done. Closed yep. down the port of entry to put pressure on the Mexican government. That's right. Pretty much knew that Kiki was, was killed. Sure. But we got to get get his body back. And, and, and I talk about the Kiki Camarena case. Uh-huh. And the primary reason I talk about that, number one, he's a hero. Yes. He is yes. a hero, true American hero. He was a local police officer in California, went to the United States Marine, and he yep. became a DEA agent. And because of his uh, tremendous investigative abilities, his uh, fluency and fa- being fluent in Spanish, mm-hmm. uh, he was assigned to Guadalajara. Mm-hmm. It's such a tremendous job out there. Uh, hurting the cartel, it was actually the Guadalajara cartel at that time, uh, led by Miguel Angel Felix Gallardo, Ernesto Fonseca, and Caro Quintero. Doing a great job, and Kiki would get up on a helicopter, the pilot, locate all these growth sites, marijuana, take them down. So he cost the cartel millions and millions yep. of dollars, upset the cartel, broad daylight. He's uh, basically kind of abducted because these people said they were police officers. He went with them, and they're crooks. And that kind of activity happens today. Uh, he was brutally tortured. Yes. A lot of people don't know this. He was brutally tortured, I believe, for 32 or 36 hours mm-hmm. nonstop. The room they had him in, the walls were about this thick, about, I'm going to say, two feet thick for your viewer, your listener, two feet thick. They put him in that room so that the sound of, 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 the, of torture could not be heard. They tortured him. They asked, they interrogated him. They actually, the cartel actually had a doctor there present <laughs> to revive Kiki so they could torture him some more yep. and, and interrogate him. Uh, the the last thing they did is to kill him. They drove a tire iron tire iron through the top of his skull, and they killed him. They killed the pilot, yep. uh, and they buried him. So uh, immediately, DEA sent a bunch of agents out there, yes, they did. right? And then we shut down the government, uh, the the border, I should say, and that upsets business owners on both sides of the border. Sure. So there's pressure, and and pretty much DEA knew which cartel it had to be. They mm-hmm. knew that. So just a matter of tracking down people, bringing them in, interviewing them, and and thankfully led to uh, the identification or location of uh, Kiki's um, uh, body. I've I've had the pleasure, distinct honor of of meeting Kiki's wife, his mother, his son, who was a uh, prosecutor in California. Now he's a judge. And I think I may see him. I'm going to be speaking in California. I I take that back. I'm going to be speaking for the California Narcotic Officers Association in November in Reno, and my understanding is um, the son may be there or some other family members may be there, so it'll be good to see them again. Uh, And I talk about Kiki to keep his memory alive. Absolutely. And everywhere I go, because everywhere I go and I'm I'm getting into the story, I put his picture up there. How many of you guys know this guy? Very few hands go up. It's really sad. Remember this. I said, we need to keep his memory alive. So I do what I can. I mean, I never worked DEA. I was a local cop 
I was a federal marshal, but I worked with a lot of DEA agents. Mm-hmm. I worked a lot of cases with them. I have good friends of mine. I work with, I still have a lot of good friends in, in DEA. I'm friends with a DEA sack here in, uh, in El Paso, Kyle uh, Williams. And I, I just spoke with him yesterday. So I got some really good friends and, and I, I want to keep Kiki's uh, memory uh, uh, alive. Now, having said that, mm-hmm. I understand there was a documentary made kind of reversing everything, not turning Kiki into a hero. Um, I got to tell you that um, uh, me personally, I don't I don't believe that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really don't believe that and that people make up their own mind. But when people hear Red Ribbon Week, I want them to think of, of Kiki Camarena. Yep. And how Red, Red Ribbon Week started was the people there in Calexico, California. They know that Kiki died uh, defending our country from Absolutely. drugs. So they wore Red Ribbon as a message telling people don't use drugs. That's how Red Ribbon Week began and celebrated during October. I've been to several, several Red Ribbon Week uh, ceremonies, including several here at the El Paso Intelligence Center. Or I met the Camarena uh, family. Yeah, his uh, name so, used yeah, to be thank on. Thank you for bringing Kiki's name up. Yeah, his name used to be on the ribbons, and you know it was always, again, as the the wife of a DEA agent at that time. You right. know that was some scary stuff for us, and oh, absolutely. And especially it's given tough. he was within weeks of being transferred up to, I believe, wasn't it San Diego that he was actually being relocated. Yeah, he was. He's gonna be relocated, and. Uh, it's a really, really sad, sad situation, and uh, you know, I wish I had the uh, opportunity to have met uh, Kiki. It, it never happened, but I'm glad I had the honor to meet his family. But that's a true American hero, and yes. me personally, I, I hate to have his, uh, hate to see his uh, his image tarnished. Uh, I agree. People, and, and no matter you know all the all the background noise, just remember that Kiki died serving our country. Yes, and and, and I refuse, I refuse to watch that. I, you know, program. I do too. People I refuse me, to watch it. People ask me, and I said, I'm not mm-hmm. going to watch it because mm-hmm. I've already made up my mind. I yep. know enough. Yep. I know what Kiki did. And I mean, I, all this other stuff, I mean, if there was so much evidence, uh, I mean, you're talking about a, a huge cover-up that these people would be allowed to get away with, with doing that kind of stuff, like bribery and money laundering and things of that nature. Those are the things I heard are involved in that. Yep. Uh, but the bottom line, I want your listeners to know, as far as me having been in law enforcement for over 30 some years, working narcotics most of that time, Kiki, Enrique Kiki Camarena is a true American hero. Absolutely. And we will, I, can, I do talk about him and even in the trainings that I do when I give background yeah. information on DEA and stuff. And so between the two of us, at least, uh, we know his Absolutely. memory is going to be kept alive and positive Absolutely. as a hero. Absolutely. You'll no question. Be. Well, Robert, as we start to wrap this thing up, we could keep you on here for days because I'm telling you, there's so many stories. <laughs> I can't I'll, believe it's I'll, almost over. You're kidding me. <laughs> well, we're going to have you back. If you'll, if you'll come back, we definitely want to oh, yeah. have you back on. Tell us about this conference that you were mentioning earlier that you have a conference coming oh, up. Oh, well, thank, thank you for bringing that up. Sure. Yes, I'm excited to announce that... Um, uh, in November, this November 8th to the 12th, uh, in San Antonio, Texas, mm-hmm. I'm going to be holding an international summit on Mexican cartels and, and gangs, and uh, it's going to be held at the historic Menger uh, Hotel. Um, conference room is not that big. It only holds 300 people, so I want to point that out. Uh, if you're interested in going, uh, you may want to register as soon as possible. We're in the process of putting the information up on my website. 
However, I do have the flyer ready where people, if they're interested, they can send me an email. Okay. I'll send them the flyer and they can register uh, through email or fax it in and pay at the conference. But I do recommend if they're interested to, uh, to uh, register early. The other thing I want to point out is I'm speaking at the conference, but I got some other great speakers uh, uh, lined up, including uh, Steve Duncan, a good friend of mine out of uh, California. Uh, very good friend with the uh, uh, Kiki Gamarena family. He's on nice. the advisory board, the foundation board. Yep. Uh, he'll be speaking about his work involving the Ariano uh, uh, Felix Cartel organization. Okay. And then I got uh, a retired DEA uh, SAC rack out of uh, uh, Matamoros, Mexico. He's going to talk about the Gulf Cartel. I got uh, an Intel, uh, international Intel analyst, analyst talking about international gangs and the cartels mm -hmm. and then i also have a journalist in uh coming out from mexico city uh who's going to talk about corruption and weapons trafficking into mexico and different things so i have other speakers that i haven't announced yet i'm still trying to line them up but it's going to be a, a great conference i'm excited great networking opportunity the menger hotel is a historic hotel located right next to the alamo right across the street from the Riverwalk. Nice. I'm expecting it to be uh, sold out. So if I can give your listeners my email address. And we'll make sure we list it on our Facebook and on our website well, for it. That. I and appreciate that. It, it's Robert at robertalmonte.com. Robert Almonte is all together. We will be in touch with you about getting you back on the show. And again, thank you so much for what you're doing and all that you are doing to help our law enforcement educate them on something that too many of them really have no idea about. And it's too important. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. And, uh, and I'll be more than happy to come back anytime. But I want to thank you, Susan, for all you do for our law enforcement uh, heroes and other first responders. Uh, thank you, a lot of people need to know, you know, what you do. You truly are a hero. And I, I thank you for what you do. God bless you. Thank you. Work. Take care. God bless. Thanks, God Robert. bless you guys. Take Thanks. Bye-bye.